happy to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, October 28th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host every week on Challenging the Rhetoric. Welcome to the show. Kim Lakin is guest co-hosting again with me this week. I love having her along with us for the ride. Kim, how you doing? Hey, Sherry, I'm doing well. Thank you. And I was loved the post that you put on there about me training, and I appreciate your patience and the listener's patience, too. I'm learning all of these ropes. How are I'm you sure doing? The listeners, I'm doing good. I'm sure the listeners uh, are going to... They don't just appreciate it. I think they're enjoying you, too. You're just such a lovely person. <laughs> um, I've had a pretty good week. I've been sick all week long, so I'm going to try not to cough on the uh, listeners tonight. Um, so before we jump into all this show and everything, I want to get through some stuff. I want to let everybody know that tonight we're going to be talking about health care in America. We're looking for a real conversation. We're not debating here. It's not going to be a, a debate about Obamacare. It's not going to be a debate about anything. We're just having a real conversation, and we want you to join us. We're going to talk about cannabis. We're going to talk about cannabis to treat and or cure diseases, particularly children's diseases. We're going to talk to you a little bit about Adam Kosler and his little girl, Rumor Rose, out in Australia and what's going on with them um, and what's going on with regards to cannabis. We're also going to do a little econ recon tonight because more than half of all the working Americans are making less than $30,000 a year. Yet, on top of all the rising food costs and the housing costs, the United States government has mandated with Obamacare that every household has to pay for insurance or you're going to be fined. Well, I, I want to know, and the other guests here want to know, and hopefully the listeners want to know, well, where's that money supposed to be coming from? So why are they gouging us to death? Why is health care gouging us literally to death? I mean, we can't afford the mandatory health care. Um, it's a problem. Where are the good doctors going? We're going to talk about that with our special grill guest tonight. His name is Dr. Vivek Segal. He's an internist out of Indiana. And we're going to talk about something called Champagne Reviews and how they get rid of good ethical doctors uh, for the sake of their bottom line in hospitals. We have a really special guest tonight. His name is Griff Ford. He's an Oregon medical and recreational marijuana dispensary owner here in Lincoln City. And um, he's he lives here with where I not with me. <laughs> yeah, I just met him the other day. I went into the dispensary to check it out, and really nice guy. I'm bringing him onto the show because I want to talk about medical marijuana and how it relates. And so he'll be coming on here in just a little bit. You can find links to uh, his shop, which is Renee's uh, Herb Store. It's on Highway 101 in Lincoln City, Oregon. Uh, also, later in the show, I'm going to tell you who the liar of the week is. And as always, I'm going to close the show with a tip for all the activists out there. It doesn't matter what your cause. It's universal tips that work for everybody and help things uh, help you do it a little bit more effectively and actually start reaching outside of the choir. So before we move along, I need to tell all of you guys what we need help with, and that's participation. So during the live show, I'm going to be posting uh, to the Facebook forward slash challenging the rhetoric dot news fan page and I'll also be tweeting from at CTR newsfeed. If you're not following um, those pages, please do and you can catch the stories there. I'll be posting them as we go along talking about them. But they're also on the website which is challenging the rhetoric dot news and you can hit it up there. You can follow the website and can sign up for the uh, notifications and all of that sort of stuff. But there's lots of stuff on the website so please go dig through it. Uh, we put a lot of work into it for you. The number to call in tonight if you want to call in and participate with me or the guests or other listeners is area code 646-787-1790. Just remember, if you're listening to an archive, you're not going to be able to get through on the phone, so don't send me a message complaining about it. It's an archive. It's not live then. <laughs> Same goes for the chat room. If you want to chat with us in the live chat room during the live broadcast, it is there available, and I try to pay attention to it as much as I can. Um, it, it is a little bit hard, you know, going back and forth between the social media and doing the show and doing, you know, all, all the little buttons and all of that. But I do try to look in there. So if you're too shy to call in or you can't get through on the phone and you have a question for me or the guests or you just want to make a comment, feel free to leave it in the chat room. Just remember no bait and switch debates in there. Everybody needs to be respectful uh, to myself to my guests, and to each other in there. Um, so let's just kind of jump right into this right now. 
The first story that I'm going to talk about involves a man. His name is Adam Kosler, and he's a daddy, and he's in jail. He has a daughter who uh, is two and a half, and well, she's almost three now, and her name is Rumor Rose, and she's a very, very sick little girl, and she spends the majority of her time in the hospital. Um, she has, and I'm, I'm probably not going to say it exactly correctly, but uh, last I had spoken to uh, Adam, she has stage four neuroblastoma. And, you know, stage four, as you know, is, is you're really deeply ingrained there into the illness. He was giving his daughter cannabis oil to help cure her because we know uh, when you take all the government propaganda stuff aside, you take all the money out of the, you know, the pharmaceutical and FDA and all of that kind of stuff, and the lobbyists on this issue, all the pharma lobbyists and stuff, cannabis cures. It's a fact. Now there are people that are giving their children cannabis oil, like Adam did. Adam had remarkable results with River Rose when he was able to do that, and he was still complying with the treatments through the the, the medical uh, practitioners that were treating her. So he wasn't he didn't he wasn't like in non compliance and then said, No, I'm just gonna go alternatively do this. He was doing both with remarkable results. However, he went to jail for it, he's still in jail, when right now his time really needs to be spent with his daughter. It's a very sad story. Um, you know, all the time that he's losing with her uh, he's never going to be able to get back. And although, of course, he and, and everybody hopes that a miracle does happen and, and, and rumor is able to be cured, there is no telling how much time this little girl has. We are talking stage four and beyond. So it's a really, really sad story. And we have to kind of pull our heads out of our butts a little bit and and say, okay, we have been taught for decades that cannabis was this big reefer, madli- reefer madness, you know, crazy, scary, gateway drug, classified up there with heroin and all that stuff. And, and it is, that is not the case. Prior to all that propaganda, cannabis was heavily and heartily used in the medical uh, practice and for, for many things uh, with good results. Now, the studies with with technology we've had to have we've been able to have some amazing studies and that are showing us what can happen and if nobody knows who Rick Simpson is and Phoenix Tears which is also known as RSO uh Rick Simpson oil please do do a search of Rick Simpson or uh run for from the cure on YouTube and watch that incredible documentary this man started creating RSO cannabis oil and um People are being cured with cancers, with all sorts of diseases and, and, and illnesses. Their pain is being alleviated. I mean, we have a situation in America where legalization medically has been rolling out for some time and now it's rolling out recreationally even, but yet in a lot of the states with medical and recreational, you can't be treated for pain if you're using uh, me- medical marijuana, because you're supposed to be using it for pain. So I guess, you know, you're not allowed to have some threshold that you need to get across. Y- you have people that are needing transplants or having transplants, and they're being denied the use of cannabis as part of their healing and their cure and their maintenance for pain. And it's really sad. I mean, Kim, if if your child was dying and you knew that something could help her, although illegal, would you not do everything you could to save your child? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just can't imagine what this poor father is going through, Adam. Um, you know, I I was actually given it when I was a kid, too, and I think that it went into other areas is why I was getting it, but um, I was very sick as a child as well, and and was given and and nothing none of the research has been done or anything at that point so you know i i would feel just really comfortable some of the stuff that i've even read today you know and all the research and everything that they're doing um giving it to my child if they needed it my goodness yeah it's you know i mean it's sad it it's very sad it's very sad and when you you can go to um uh, on Facebook, just look up Fearless Father, and you'll find the the page that is 
being handled and managed for for Adam while he's in jail and, you know, to to maintain all the information of what's going on. He is able to get some visitation now. There was a while he couldn't, but he's able to get some visitation Mm -hmm. now. Obviously, he's not able to use the things that he wants to use. But here's, like, the kicker of the whole thing that's, that's ridiculously outrageous is that the very hospital that his daughter was in at the time that he was arrested in jail for giving her cannabis oil. Not only is the is the country of Australia getting ready to legalize here over the next year, it should probably roll out legally in the markets or whatever, like in 2017-ish, but that very hospital is getting uh, is getting ready to start doing. They're, they're, just, they're investing three million dollars in medicinal cannabis uh, to treat children specifically at that very hospital, and um, and that's supposed to begin uh, at the end of this year and into the beginning of next year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how does that make any sense? His child's in the hospital. Was- She's dying. He was giving her cannabis oil. He's in jail. She's being denied the oil, but yet now they're bringing in this other people with cannabis oil and giving it to all these mm-hmm. other children. And he's mm-hmm. still in jail, and she's still dying. What the hell is wrong with this world, Kim? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's scary. <laughs> it is scary because I, I feel like the same way as you do and what you just said. I would do whatever it took for my child to get better well, or to just even feel better for you know the amount of time that they have left. And when you were when you were a kid, when we were little, um, I had moved out of state at this one point during time, and it was around your second grade-ish, I believe. You had your appendix burst, and you were talking about you know how your parents mm-hmm. had given it to you when you were younger. And you know, I mean, there's just certain things that. I mean, obviously, we don't want parents walking around giving dope to their kids. That's not what we're advocating here at all. But we really need to, yeah, we really need to be able to differentiate and separate dope and the word drugs from marijuana, especially when it is specifically being used as a treatment medically. Um, It's crazy. Do you know? uh, Do you know any? Do you have? I, I mean, I hope not. I hope nobody does. But do you have any friends or family members that have children that are suffering from cancer or or other really bad diseases? Well, I have, and. And we've had a couple of family friends who, um, well, several family friends who have passed away from cancer. I, I've never talked to them about this subject, though. And, um, you know, we did know a little girl just a few years ago who was very close to our family who battled cancer for, what, three different times. They thought she was cured, and um, and then it came back, and then she lost her life about four years ago. And um, I, I don't, you know, I... I don't know that her parents would have done that. I don't know, but I never even brought that subject up to them. But, you know, like like you said, whatever, well, you know, I think that they would have too done whatever it would have taken to make her feel better if that's what they found and thought it, you know, it would help and they would have done it, I'm sure. Right, and, you know, you were just saying that you never, you know, broached that subject with anybody before, but it just dawned on me. You're in Colorado, another legal state, not just for medical but also recreational. Do you think that maybe, especially it's been a year now that it's been recreationally legal out there, do you think that you're more comfortable in the state, in the atmosphere in your state, where you might be more apt to actually start, like, just talking to people about this when you, you know, do encounter someone? Well, I think it's definitely moving that direction. You know, remember, I've been very sheltered, and I've tried to shelter my children <laughs> for many years. Right, so, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm working on on being more open and um, <laughs> and not hiding behind trying to protect my ch- my children. They're all just about grown now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely moving in that direction in Colorado, where it is a lot more open, um, where you know, my my husband who drives for a living sees people just standing out on the street, you know, all the time smoking. So, um, you know, definitely if it could also, like you're talking about moving to the direction of not just for the recreational but for the medical as well, I think that would help tremendously in the overall cause and talk of, of what it can do right. for people. Well. You know, I, I, 
you and I, we can sit here and we can kind of opine and not really be experts on, on all it can do and, no. and, you know, what it's all about. But our, our first guest tonight, his name is Griff Ford, and he is a dispensary owner uh, here in Lincoln City, Oregon, where I live. And I just kind of encountered him the other day. I went in there to check it out because they just started offering recreational. And I wanted to see what it looks like inside these places. I had never really been into a dispensary, believe it or not, although I had my bud tender call, you know, column and all of that. I just had never – I did all via the phone. Anyways, um, so his name is Griff Ford, and I am going to bring him on, and he's going to tell us – he's going to talk to us about – medical marijuana, and then we'll talk a little bit towards the end about recreational um, and how it is when people differently come in, into the shop. But, Griff, are you with me? Yes, I am. Hi. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Kim and I Kim and I were really interested in talking to you tonight. Kim, um, did you have any kind of opening question for Griff? No, I just wanted to say hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, Griff, you know, um the the shop that you have is Renee's herb store and um you October first you were able to actually start uh selling recreational marijuana. But up until then you were already doing medical marijuana, you've moved into a bigger shop, um and all of that so far and I'm really interested tonight in the medical marijuana aspect, especially when it comes to medications for children, um and, and for people who have never used it, um, whether they're interested in using it for medical reasons or for recreational. And I want to kind of talk about a little bit of the differences because there's a perception out there that people want to get it for medical reasons, but they don't want to be on some list. But you got to show your ID anyway, right? <laughs> yes, you do. But by showing your really ID matter. to go into a recreational store, you're not being put on any kind of list. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's that the is, listeners that's need to kind know of that a kind of a misnomer that a lot of people are are quite worried about. But we don't record any identifying information from anyone that comes in, unless they're a medical patient. Exactly, because like here in Oregon, you know, with the new rec laws, I mean, basically the the real well, you are a real retail. Don't get me wrong, but that that is some <laughs> caveat that they have made until the beginning of the year when they start really accepting all the rec apps and stuff like that, um, because it made no sense to them to have a law that they weren't you know, letting people take advantage of. But I can't I can't go to my neighbor and buy any weed, but I can go to my neighbor and say, hey, can you give me some weed? And he can give me weed. <laughs> and so there's a lot Absolutely. of people out there. Yeah, so it's illegal to go and purchase weed from somebody outside of a dispensary or to sell it. So, But there's a lot of people that I've just talked to over the time that they're they're terrified to go to a dispensary. They think they're going to be on some list or it's going to be like some outrageous fortune or, you know, or some kind of dumbed-down GMO weed or something like that. But, I mean, it's all good, it's all good to go. Why don't you tell them a little bit about the medical side of it? Well, we, in our store, we don't discriminate between medical and recreational people that come into the store. We sell the same strains of flowers to both. The the thing we're restricted from is not being able to sell edibles or concentrates to the public, which is a shame at the moment because the edibles and concentrates do a lot of good for people who are in pain and having troubles with their bodies. Will you explain to the listener, um, especially the, the lay listener who really doesn't know a lot beyond, you know, just the bud itself, I mean, most people that are the most familiar that are our ages and up, you know, it's it's you know, it's the weed, man, roll a joint and maybe even a blunt, but they're not really sure about the edibles and the um the extractions. So can you explain those a little bit to people? Sure. The the difference really lies in how long the the effects last for between edibles and smoking a joint, say, you can get an hour or two's worth of pain relief out of smoking a joint, but you can get six to eight hours worth of relief out of using an edible form of marijuana because it just the effects last longer, so the pain relieving qualities are there for much longer in your body. The the concentrates are just a whole lot stronger in addition than the flowers are, so it takes a lot less of them to get that same pain relief or to get the same buzz if that's what you're looking for. Right. And 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 I mean that's that's the truth. There are some people that simply want it for the buzz. That's why we have recreational. When you when you get somebody that comes into the shop, Griff, that has never um 
you know they they just got their card their their MMJ card they they want to come in they've they've never legitimately never smoked never had an edible never nothing never dabbed nothing so they come in there they're you know are they excited to be there are they like timid are they fearful what's their reaction how do they behave more often and than how not do you people are really excited to be here their the <laughs> medical card holders are generally very excited to be here because they've been waiting for so long to get their medical card from the state that once they've got it, it's kind of a woohoo moment and they get to finally go and use it. Right. Right. Oh, you know what? It, what so, so for somebody who's never um, used cannabis in any forms at all, and they come in, what do you normally suggest for them initially? And um, you know, are they timid about certain devices or? Yes. I mean, do you teach people, people how to roll a joint? Or? <laughs> I've actually rolled one for someone the other day that had never done it before. I gave a joint rolling lesson in the store. That's awesome. I know an ex-cop. isn't quite strange to me, but... <laughs> I, I, I know I an ex-cop out of L.A., Griff. i, I got to just give you a sidebar. An ex-cop out of L.A., he's an ex-narc-cop at that. He's never rolled a joint before in his life. He he does have an MMJ card out in California. He's a private investigator now. He's a very good friend of mine, Alex Salazar. I've been a guest on the show a couple times. Um, he was in my home a couple months ago, and he's, like, wanting me to show him how to roll. Because he buys pre-rolls. He goes to his dispenser sure. and he buys pre-rolls. <laughs> so I forgot about those, yeah. Absolutely, and we we sell lots of pre-rolls, and that's one of the things that I try and, and lean towards when people come in and say they've never tried marijuana before, is here's a pre-roll of low potency. Go home and take a couple of puffs off of it and see how it makes you feel. If you don't feel anything, take a couple, of, a couple more puffs off of it. I don't think personally that edibles are a good place to start for people because the effects can be quite a bit more intense. But and if you start so out and you have an idea... In, yeah. Sure, and if you start out and you've tried something and you know what the effect is or have, a, have an idea of what the effect is, then you're kind of ready for the edibles that are going to do a little bit more for your pain relief and things of that nature. Right. Kim, do you have a question for Griff? No, I, no, I think it was very interesting just knowing that, that edible information that you gave <laughs> right there because I didn't realize that either that the effects would last longer. And, a lot of people have trouble with the edibles as well. I just spoke with someone just a half an hour ago that said, I tried an edible and I sat there and waited for an hour and I didn't feel anything, so I ate some more. And then after I'd eaten some more, I was completely bombed and was uncomfortable. And that's sure. why I <laughs> lean against edibles for first-time people. Because yeah. that seemed, I've heard this story a hundred times over. It just is something that requires a little bit of self-control. <laughs> and the knowledge of you're, knowing you're that it can take a effect. while. Yeah, you're waiting sure. for an effect, and it, it's going to take a while, and you kind of get to the point where you're like, oh, well, nothing's going to happen. I need to eat some more. And, yeah, and then, and then you're kind of in trouble. I think that happens, you know, when, when, when minors are getting a hold of things through their parents or, you know, or out there on the black market or whatever. I think that's the problem that is going on with minors with regards to the edibles, particularly that we've heard a lot about in Colorado. Um, but, Griff, when – when people are uh, first-time people coming in for, or actually not first-time people, when, now that you have recreational, are you finding at all that it's a different sort of clientele? Is it? Are you finding like you have like two different types of you know walks of life coming in, or are they still all the same? You know, as far as I'm concerned, they're pretty much still all the same. The people who are recreationally coming into the store are a lot more excited that they get to come in, and I get a lot more, this is the first time, I never thought I'd see this, or this is the first time I've been in a in a marijuana shop or something like that. But for the most part, no, it's mostly people, the people seem to be the same. Yeah, and my mom, uh, my mom passed away four years ago, but she, I, I was raised my whole life. She always told me, oh, it's going to be legal someday. It's going to be legal someday. Unfortunately, medical was legal before she passed, but recreational ha obviously hadn't. But um, she she would just be, like, beside herself. She would be in every dispensary she could. But speaking of that, people, you know, in the legal states, they can't just go and dispensary hop and get an unlimited supply. There's a limit, right? Well, in each store in the, in Oregon, anyway, I can't speak for the laws of other states, but in Oregon, you're allowed to buy seven gram, grams per day per person in in a dispensary. 
So there really is no rule that says you can't leave my dispensary and go to another one and buy another seven grams, but there are limitations in place. And you're not allowed to buy anything but dried flowers, seeds, or uh, immature plants. Immature plants. So um, when at the beginning of the year, Griff, are they going to, for recreational, will you then at that point be able to do edibles and the extractions? The extracts? I have no idea is the best answer I can give for that. It's possible that we will, we're going to see rule changes coming in the beginning of the year in January. I don't personally believe that these rule changes will take effect until mid-year, but that's uh-huh. just supposition on my part. I have no, no facts to back that up. The state won't really give us any cold, hard facts to know what's going on at the moment. So we're just kind of playing the waiting game on when we'll be able to sell edibles to the public. When you are having a, um, you know, when we're talking about the extracts, there's a lot of people that have no idea what that is. And when I've tried to explain to people, I'm like, well, you remember hash back in the day? It's kind of like that. <laughs> it's hash. It's hash oil. Absolutely. Can you, yeah, can you, explain, can you explain to the listeners what it is, real, real quickly, what it is, but also, like, the, the potency? Because the, the potency of, of, of marijuana today is way different than when I was a teenager, when my kids were, you know, in their 20s back in, you know, the day and all of that. Um, I mean, it's just so much more potent all the way around. So the, the, the extracts, um, you know, people got to be a little careful with those, too, when they've never tried them. Absolutely, for certain. <clears throat> the extracts are basically they take the best part of the marijuana, at the THC and the CBDs and the other cannabinoids, and they remove the plant matter from it. So we have a strain I'm looking at right now that is Northern Lights, which the flower version of will be about 18 to 22% THC, maybe higher. The, not much higher, though, tops 25 but the uh-huh. Northern Lights extract is 64.5% THC because they've gotten rid of all that plant matter and and just taken the best parts of it. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. The um, Kim, did you have a question? No, no, I'm just listening. Uh, it's fascinating <laughs> to me. <laughs> Griff, Griff, before before I let you go, um, with regards to the extracts, um, when you're talking about uh, if it, if it's a first time person that comes in there and they they well first of all do you ever get anybody that comes in there and they just ask you for hash because they're thinking like old time hash? Yes, definitely. I'm sitting in the store right now and I'm looking at a big piece of old time Moroccan hash that someone dropped off for me to buy from them so that we can sell it to others. Yes, people come in and ask just for old time hash, but it's very seldom. The majority of people that are coming in that want hash-type products are wanting things like butane hash oil or propane hash oil or ice, ice water hash and things of that nature, where the potency is a lot higher than the old-fashioned hash. Right. Are you, now, I saw in your shop that you had the, uh, the FICO, the full extract uh, uh, oil and caps. Yes. Yeah, do you, um, do you also have um, RSO? Yes, that's uh, FICO and RSO are one and the same. Yeah, yeah just a different process of making. Um, just just so a different when, name. It's uh, just right. a different name. It's alcohol okay. extraction is is all that that boils down to. Okay, and so the with with the with the FICO um, and you know with these oils, people have to currently right now they have to have an MMJ card to get that. Yes. Okay. They are um, they are free to come and buy the marijuana from the stores and make their own RSO or FICO oil, but right. right at the moment with the seven gram limitation, it would be pretty difficult for somebody to make that because you it requires a lot of plant matter to produce. Yeah, I mean we're allowed we're allowed to have up to what is it eight ounces recreationally in our homes here right now. Yes. But how do we go about? I mean we'd have to go to a lot of dispensaries to get eight ounces. Yes, in a day. you would. Yes, you would. <laughs> I mean that'd be crazy. Um, well, that'd Griff, be a really lot of trips, you. and it'd probably get pretty expensive. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. You but would be some good far stuff out far there. more economically minded to go and get a medical marijuana card and be able to go and buy RSO or FICO oil. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, Griff, well, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate you coming on as a guest like this, and I hope to bring you back again. Um, I am going to shoot out a, a Yelp link for you for Renee's uh, herb store. If you have an actual website, shoot me the link, and I'll, I'll share that too. Um, and you can find links to his place and the address and the phone number and all that on the website and in the stories there. Griff, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. Have a good evening. You too. Okay, so now we are going to go straight on over. It's time for Liar of the Week. And this week's Liar of the Week is the FDA. They've made our uh, list here a few times, and the FDA's Liar of the Week because of what WHO has just come out, WHO, as in the World Health Organization, came out this past week talking about processed meats that has now been recategorized as absolute carcinogens. Now, we Pepsi finally saw the light of day from complaints from consumers, and they stopped using aspartame. Uh, they've gone to like a stevia-type product, uh, and who knows if that's even any good. But, um, you know, we have the FDA saying processed foods have been okay, the GMOs okay, the aspartame's okay, all these things that are slowly killing us and making us have to pay all those co-pays and all those insurance premiums and all those uh, other co-pays and, and prescription fees. You know, it's these things that we're putting inside of our bodies, not just the things that we know about that are bad, soda, cigarettes, alcohol, you know, drug drugs, uh, you know, fat-laden foods, that's normal. If you're not, if you're not, if you're a lazy person and you're not eating healthy in general, the thing is there's a lot of people out there that think they're eating healthy and they're not. And how many years have we been consuming all of these, you know, these lunch meats and bacon, 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 everything, bacon bowl this, bacon that, you know, sausage and, you know, uh, hot dogs, hot dogs, hot dogs. We think because they're all, all beef or kosher that they're good. They're not. Not only are they carcinogens, but that was another story out this week is that they're finding human DNA in several brands and varieties of hot dogs, including supposed kosher and vegetarian ones. So we have... We have the Food and Drug Administration that we know there's all these bad drugs out there, and we know that there's obvious bad foods out there, but there are so many things that keep getting the rubber stamp that are killing us, and we have to at some point stop and ask ask ourselves, why is this happening again? Why is it happening over and over? Do we want to go down the conspiracy trail and say they're intentionally trying to poison us and kill us off and cold the nation, you know, cold the world or whatever? Well, we could. Or we can use some, you know, just straight logic and common sense and, you know, and follow that money. And when there's lots of money to be had, a lot of things get looked over and pushed aside to make that money. And when there becomes a lot of bad results, after all that money's made, and those bad results accumulate into such a way that that they can no longer hide it, well, then they got to do something. And that's kind of where we are right now. So we have been consuming all these things that are now known carcinogens that they've been telling us were perfectly safe for us to eat. The amount that they are saying is unsafe for us is like one and three-quarter ounces, which is like, depending on the, the thickness of the cut, is like, a piece and a half of bologna or, you know, one hot dog. And so if we're eating some sort of processed meat in the small quantities like that every day, we're going to have much more of a chance to have, particularly like colorectal cancers and, and stuff like that. So it's really crazy why anybody would, first of all, I mean, out of convenience, we just get – we start doing things our parents did and all of that, and we think it's okay. It's okay. Oh, let's open this box, this bag, this can. Okay? Processed meats, I bet we're going to find the same thing. Is the problem with processed foods. These are not real foods. These are things that have been so laden with additives, with preservatives, with fillers, with toxin, toxin, toxin. We need to get back down to the basics of food, and obviously with all the problems with the GMO out there and, and the, the problems of harming the soil and the watersheds and stuff like that, 
I mean, we know now, I mean, even Whole Foods came out a few years ago and said that they can't even guarantee that at least their corn products, if not other things, are actually GMO-free. Um, that's just kind of how this, this thing, these things are in our world. So um, the FDA is our liar of the week. And, Kim, I, how, how much lunch meat you got in your fridge? <laughs> well, there's some lunch meat in there. Um, yeah. You know, it, it is something that is easy to make for sandwiches, especially when you're a mom and making lunches. I mean, that's what you grab to make lunches every day. And, you know, and then you have barbecues in the summer, and so you have hamburgers and hot dogs. And, you know, and if you're trying to be a good mom, then you're making breakfast every morning. I don't always With do that. With sausage and make. bacon. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. You've got to have some kind of protein to give them. So, you know, it's a little well, bit. It is scary to think about that. It is, and we just got to get back to uh, some more healthy foods. On that note, we need to move right along. It is time for our grill guest uh, in just a minute. But first, I want to give a quick couple little shout-outs and reiterate some stuff. On Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news. To find the fan page, please hit the like button, share the page, scout around on there, lots of stuff. There's a little video you can share. Uh, also hit us up on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. You can find me on Twitter at CTR News Feed. I do love to hear from you, so say hi, share something, send me an email. You can send me an email at challengingtherhetoric at yahoo.com. Um, I will write you back. I will respond. Um, I usually do. If I don't, then you can kind of kick me upside the head. We, I'm always looking for contributors to the show, uh, whether you want to contribute something on air or whether you would like to be a contributing writer or contribute some artwork or graphics or videography. All you got to do is go to the website, again, challengingtherhetoric.news, and you can find the tab on there for volunteer opportunities. Everything is volunteer. Uh, I don't make anything. I actually pay money to do this show. Speaking of which, uh, I can use some help. If you want to help me out and help me cover some costs, every five bucks helps. And it's really easy to do. All you got to do is go to GoFundMe.com forward slash CTR News. And uh, you can use PayPal or credit card or whatever. And, uh, you know, a couple bucks helps. You want to give me a big donation, then that's awesome. Love you. But um, if you, you know, only got a couple bucks, then it all adds up and I, I could really use it. I pay for the airtime and all the web stuff uh, myself out of my own pocket. So your help is appreciated. On that note, our grill guest tonight is uh, a really nice person, a very nice guy. He is an internist in Indiana. He is a personal friend of mine, and uh, he's just one of those good doctors that you don't I mean, I wish he was here in my state so he could be my, my personal physician hands-on here versus just talking with him. But Dr. Vivek Seagal is an internist. Vivek, Dr. Seagal, calling Dr. Seagal, are you with me? Yes. I'm <laughs> like, you Hello. better say yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Seagal, you know, you and I have talked a few times um, about hospitals and how they're ran and some of the things that go on in hospitals that the general public doesn't know. And I'm not talking about them doing, like, bad things to the patients, per se. I'm talking about what they're doing to their own doctors. And there's something that's called sham peer reviews. Most people listening know what a peer review is. Um, however, they don't know what a sham peer review is. And a sham peer review can be passed over very intelligent people uh, or passed in front of very intelligent people who won't be none the wiser. It's a way of blacklisting. It's a way of pushing out good and ethical doctors out of establishments that are trying to do other things to meet their bottom line, usually. Um, but, Dr. Seagal, you've had some experiences, not not you personally, but you've had experiences in your life and with colleagues who have been subjected to these shampoo reviews, and it, it just fascinated me, and I, I, I really want the listeners to understand how this works. So can you explain that to them? Absolutely. Um, let me first give uh, the background on this. In the early 1980s, there was a case actually in Oregon which involved uh, a four-surgeon group who were practicing in one hospital. Gradually, their number of surgeries dropped, and they wanted to get rid of one of their partners. And... Uh, it was really hard because the partners had only one clause under which 
uh, a sur- one of their surgeons could be thrown out of the group, and that was if he lost privileges in the hospital. So they went after the physician that they had targeted, and using the hospital and the peer review process, uh, Dr. Patrick was removed from the group after he lost his privileges with sham peer review. Now, Dr. Patrick appealed all the way up to the United States Supreme Court and uh-huh. won a settlement of $6 million. Wow. Now, after this case, hospitals all over the country were shaken up and were concerned about the fact that, uh, number one, physicians who participated in peer review would be vulnerable. Number two, hospitals would be liable. And in 1986, Congress passed a very draconian law, which is called the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act, under which physicians are given immunity uh, for doing peer review. An accusing physician can simply come along and document that a physician, let's say Dr. Joe Blow, is a bad doctor, which is his professional opinion of the physician. And in this peer review and... uh, uh, This is uh, what I think, along with the rest of my colleagues in the peer review committee, and poof, Dr. Joe Blow, patient advocate, and the financial competitor competitor is gone. Right. Uh, And that, unfortunately, is a sad occurrence that is happening uh, all over the country. Now, I'll give you the characteristics of the people who are generally targeted for a sham peer review. Majority of these people or doctors are doctors who are very successful, number one. Uh-huh. You don't want, there is no need to go after somebody who is not successful. Right. Uh, because it doesn't matter. They don't count. So that's one. Number two, by and large, most of them happen to be uh, physicians who are from foreign, who are foreign medical graduates. Uh, that's ah. another characteristic, by and large, because it's easy to target them. They're not very familiar with the system, and they're not part of the buddy-buddy system that's uh, involved out there. So it's easy to target the physician because, let's say, you know, people who are powerful in a hospital, physicians, they don't like your referral patterns because they're not getting enough business for you, and you're admitting a a lot of patients, and they're unhappy with your referral pattern, well, we are going to get this person. And they'll declare that the practitioner is not within the uh, guidelines of standard care of care, regardless of the truth or literature review, they will com- in general uh, commission an outside review with prearranged outcomes, and before you know it, the physician is uh, being accused of all kinds of malfeasance. And this ends up on the physician's national practitioner data bank. And uh, even if the physician is exonerated ultimately by the board of healing arts of that respective state, the national practitioner data bank entry remains. And... It makes it difficult for that particular physician then to practice not just in the area where he was or she was, but it makes it difficult for them to practice 
anywhere in the country because of the National Practitioner Data Bank entry. Uh, yeah, that's that's really that's you, that's blackballing. And um, uh, hold, hold on, hold on, Dr. Segal, that that that's blackballing. And one would think that something like that. I mean, that's slander, and it's libelous because it's being published. Um, and so, but and one would think, oh, you guys are all doctors. You got money. You can fight this. But what people don't understand is it's a it's an adult form of corporate really corporate professional bullying um and pretty soon the physician is completely ostracized from their you know their their peers their um their practice you know uh whether it's you know they're working for a practice or or within a hospital situation um you and I Dr. Segal you know we were talking uh last year about um a particular hospital group uh prime healthcare that I had dealings with and um with prime health uh they have held several uh peer reviews some of which in, in my opinion are sham peer reviews after uh, copious amounts of research with regards to my own health issues which we'll get into on a later show but um with within that and on that topic uh what it it's it's weird to me okay because i i want i want to nail home the importance of this i i know this for a fact I have all the documentation for this. You can find the documentation yourself. I'm talking to the listeners right now. I've already shared this with Dr. Segal. This particular uh, Prime Health, one of their like 38 or more hospitals, the hospitalist is a sex offender. He lost, his license was uh, revoked uh, for a decade or so, and uh, he got it reinstated back on a probationary level. He is the brother-in-law of the owner of all this hospital group, and he's the actual hospitalist. So we have people out there that are sex offenders that are able to have these positions, but really good ethical doctors, like the ones that you and I are talking about, Dr. Segal, are getting pushed out so that they can bring in people like this that are going to be yes-men, that are going to you know, just sign the thing or do the upcode or do whatever it is and, um, and, you know, and help them do these unethical things while our, our country is hurting so badly for good doctors and good health care. I mean, I, I say all the time, where is the care in health care? And for me, I found that in you. You were the very first physician I have ever met in my lifetime, particularly with regards to my own health issues, that gave me the time of day and actually listened to me. And we've talked many times, and you don't, you know, you're not out there asking people about their insurance. You're not out there not not treating them until you know how you're getting paid. And I mean, you genuinely care, Dr. Segal. And so people need to understand how devastating Shampier Review is, not just for the physician that has to go through it, because obviously it it destroys their careers and lives, but also for all those patients that are missing out on good doctors. Absolutely. That's the truth. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give an example of an experience that I have been through, um, myself personally. Uh, Back in from 19... uh, 97 to 2005 2006 i was uh practicing as an infectious disease consultant as well as an internist in cancers and i was part of a multi speciality group of about 14 physicians uh Unfortunately, we had a disagreement, and I decided to leave the group. And uh, after I had left the group, one of the hospitals in which all the patients were admitted to this particular group, and the leader of the group was actually a medical director here for about 17, 18 years, In this particular for-profit hospital, I found after I had left the group within a matter of a month, I was told that they were revoking my position as uh, the wound care consultant. The next Mm. thing I got is I got a letter that uh, I was being removed from the medical executive committee 
And then all of a sudden, I get a letter saying that your practice is under investigation. Now, people don't realize that simply the fact that your practice is under investigation becomes a pretty big issue because after that, any place that you apply for privileges, whenever you apply for a renewal of your licensure, which in some states is every year or in some states is every two years, all of a sudden you have to declare that you have been investigated. And then they will do an investigation of their own at the board level. And from there, the news goes all the way to the Federation of State Medical Boards. And uh, wherever you apply for a license, it becomes a problem there. Anyway, so after all of this, uh, they do something that is called padding the file. That means Say that again? Padding the file. Okay. All of a sudden, instead of one offense, you have become guilty of 30 or 40 offenses. Because now that they're after you, they want to make sure they get you one day or the other. Uh, after I got that, that I was under investigation, uh there were multiple, multiple charges, including absurd charges that I had tried to get multiple CEOs of the hospital fired. Um, <laughs> which They probably deserved is, it. But <laughs> well, I wish I had the power to fire the CEOs of hospitals. <laughs> I think it's pretty uh, pretty obvious that as a physician, I don't have that kind of power. Uh, the CEO had documented the fact that he had had numerous conversations with me, and he gave the time and he gave my cell phone number. He also said that I had been abusive in one of the social workers, uh, and uh, there were multiple other uh, problems that were raised going back to two or three years. Well, if they had problems two or three years ago, why didn't they raise those issues previously? But that is the, the classical picture of a Champier review where they will try and pad the file with a huge number of uh, errors, incident reports, and various things. After having disproved the fact that I, I had never said anything abusive to the social worker, and actually at the time that they claimed I had said it, well, guess what? I, had, I was the only person who was advised invited to the social worker's wedding along with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. And you're probably the only physician you're probably the only physician that I would invite into my home with your wife. <laughs> um I, I, I would love to have you and Namita come in and, and join Michael and I here at the house and and um you know and come out here and you can actually give me a real physical doctor exam. That sounds weird, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dr. Seagal, I, doesn't, I didn't mean it as weird as it sounds. We go way back, not that far back. <laughs> Dr. Seagal, um, I know Kim had a quick question for you before we uh, move on to close out the show, but Kim, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I was just wondering how often this happens to doctors. Well, it's, it's, it's unfortunately, it's very common, and, uh, uh, you know, some of the figures, just to give you an idea, uh, from this particular hospital, I eventually resigned while under investigation, which became a, a National Practitioner Data Bank entry, because eventually they said that the fair hearing process would be conducted by an attorney, 
not by a physician, and all the witnesses would only testify via uh, uh, sworn documents. So my attorney said, you know, I cannot cross-examine documents or affidavits. I can't do that. So he finally advised me, after we had spent about $100,000 trying to defend myself, and I ultimately ended up resigning while under investigation. Well, all of this went to the state uh, medical uh, licensing board, and the state licensing medical board never found a problem. But I still have that practitioner data bank entry sitting there. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I'm going to look further into this, uh, Dr. Segal, because it is something that really does genuinely bother me since we first discussed this over the phone a while back. And um, I appreciate you coming on. I'd like to have you come on again sometime. I'll let you know when when it'll work. And uh, please, please tell the other Dr. Segal that I really would like to have her on as a pediatrician for the other uh, upcoming show. I am going to move on because it's five minutes before I've got to close the show, and we've got a couple more things to talk about. Thank you so much, Dr. Segal. I appreciate having you on. And um, we're going to look more into these Shampier reviews. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Kim. Yes, I'm still here. (laughs) She's like, oh, my gosh, she's speaking to me. (laughs) Kim, I would like you to – we're going to jump over. We just only have a couple minutes. So really quickly, if you can um, tell the listeners why you're in training with me. Why I'm in training? Okay. what's coming up? What's coming up? (laughs) Because she's (laughs) – so Sherry and I are working on an ongoing monthly roundtable called, um, it's SOS, um, Sickness of Silence, and we're going to be doing um, a two-hour roundtable once a month. It's the first Thursday of every month starting next Thursday, November 5th, and we're going to be discussing and discussing and sharing um, with both male and female survivors and, and leading experts that um, Sherry has lined up here, some really neat experts you've got already lined up. And, um, yeah, it's exciting to be entering into this journey with you, Sherry. I'm excited well, to, know, Kim, to see how we can reach others with our story. I, I'm I'm just so happy to have you uh, doing this with me because, I, first of all, I, I don't think I would have ever done this to that extent or or, or done – what we're getting ready to do to the extent that we're getting ready to do it uh, without you. Um, so I really appreciate that you have, have done this. I want to let the listeners know uh, when Kim was on the first time when we did this show about childhood sexual abuse on CTR, which was about a month or so ago, Kim was on. It was the first time she'd ever been on the radio, but it was also the first time that she'd ever really spoken about this to anyone, let alone publicly. And at that time, she hadn't even spoken to her own children, who are pretty much adults. Her youngest is 17. Um, But she really just hadn't been talking about this at all. But after doing what we did on that show, she got a little fire under her butt, and um, she has been <laughs> doing all kinds of crazy things, and she's been connecting me to a bunch of people, and, you know, she's all she's on fire right now, and she's actually spoken to her children, um, and that that's going well. Uh, you know, one of the offenders has actually been helping to provide information, and that's that's all that's all from your work, Kim. So I'm super proud of you. I want everybody to please check out sicknessofsilence.org, and you can see the uh, the the website and its works. Uh, it, it looks pretty decent right now, but there's still a lot missing. There will be a lot more there when when all is said and done. I, I have to pack away at it a little bit at a time, um, but it's sicknessofsilence.org or sicknessofsilence.com. Take your pick. It takes you to the same place. That very first show, this two-hour roundtable that Kim was talking about, is next Thursday. So we still have Challenging the Rhetoric on on Wednesday next week, so make sure you join us next week at 6 o'clock here on Wednesday for Challenging the Rhetoric. But on Thursday the 5th, from 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific, we are doing this two-hour roundtable. So we have both male and female uh, survivors that are going to be joining us and talking about their experiences and, and how they see best to deal with this moving forward for awareness. But we also have some great 
we also have some great uh, uh, experts like like Frederick Lane, the cyber cybercrime forensic child pornography expert, who we had on here about a month or so ago, as well as Dr. Sarah D. Good, who is a psychologist out of the UK, who has what some people deem to be pretty radical thoughts on how to deal with pedophiles and, and pedophilia. But Kim and I happen to agree, and that's why we connected with her. So I'm super anxious to have her on the show as well. And the executive director of MaleSurvivor.org is going to be joining us. His name is Christopher. Anderson, and he's a really wonderful guy, himself a survivor. MailSurvivor.org, check it out. Um, it's a really great organization. Hit us up on the website, ChallengingTheRhetoric.News. Don't forget to be here next Wednesday at 6 Pacific time, and uh, shoot me an email at ChallengingTheRhetoric at Yahoo.com. I look forward to hearing from you. If you'd like to contribute a story, then please also shoot me an email at ChallengingTheRhetoric.com, and uh, I will uh, check out your email. Please give, be a little patient. I try to build the stories that are submitted to me uh, around the shows. Each each week the show is on a specific topic. So I appreciate all the listeners. I really appreciate having both Griff Ford and Dr. Vivek Segal on tonight. And, of course, I very much appreciate having my, my good childhood friend Kim Lakin with me again tonight and what we're getting ready to do. I love you guys. Don't forget to go to the website. Say hello. Love Talk you to you soon. See you next week. Bye. Bye.